Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast and welcome to myself back to this podcast as well. And thanks for listening to this podcast. Wherever you, you get your podcast, please subscribe and share this podcast with the rugby world and drop us a five-star rating as well. Um, for those that don't know me, my name is Tala. I sometimes feature on this podcast and I'm glad to be back on, on, the, on the driving seat. Today, I'm joined by Sean and, and Jared as we try to navigate podcasting through load shedding. And in this podcast episode, we're mostly focused on the Springboks, their 36 points to 20 victory um, over Argentina, and looking forward, looking back in, into the weekend's results and, and looking forward a little bit as to what they need to do in order to secure the rugby championship. But as always, we start with our first phase question. And this week was, you know, what's your favorite story of a player in your team playing out of position for a game? Um, I'll, I'll maybe just ask Sean, maybe if he, if he has a story, but just before we get there, now, just to get a few, um, a, a, a few stories here. Um, one that's similar to mine is um, Tivu's um, Sub Breakfast, who's probably one of the best accounts on Twitter, saying that he, him as a fullback, he had to go into the loose head prop um, because all of, his, all of the props were going down and then he got blown for illegal scrummaging. Um, I also have a similar story about packing down against the Uffies under 16 um, B props who were over 100 kilograms um, and, and having to scrum against them. That was not a fun day for me. Sean? Mine, <laughs> I was reading these replies and I was laughing and I love it. It's, it's always a forward and a back. I mean, obviously, they're two very, very different spaces on the rugby field. Mine is not a player that was moved on our team, but I was playing, I was playing social and um, in, we're playing in a social league. And before the game, I was chatting to a couple of mates that were playing for the opposition and they kept saying, you know, it's the usual stuff like, oh, how's it going? Oh, yeah, we've got injuries or, you know, some oaks have pulled out and whatever. You know, the usual stuff. You try and downplay everything. You want to gain every little bit of advantage you can. And they told me, no, listen, yeah, ah, wingers. I was like, well, they're wingers. Like, they're fine. He goes, oh, yeah, we've, We've got a we got a bit of a problem. We had to move our eighth man out onto the wing, but he's uh, he's a little overweight and he hasn't played rugby in many years. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm sure he's okay. Anyway, they run out onto the field and there's this tall guy, but certainly a a, <laughs> a brandy drinking ex rugby player pulled about him. He's he's got a massive dad bod. He's like, you know what I mean? You're just thinking this guy doesn't have wheels. You know, he's, he's going to run straight. That's the way it is. So first, <laughs> first sort of sets up in the game. They send it out wide to him. We rush up in defense on onto the, or as fast as we could possibly go. And this guy turns on the feet. He had faster feet than Ches and Colby. And the Oak moved like an athlete. <laughs> I've never in my life. We were all just standing there, cemented onto, onto the field as this guy danced around three people that went to go score in the corner. And I was like, what the hell? So that was my story. It's instantly brought back to me when you when you posted that first phase was this tall, tubby eighth man with the feet feet of a cheetah man. I couldn't believe it. It was it was insane. Yeah, that's actually quite similar to one of the stories posted by um, by um, Sean Berg, um, saying that they had their hooker move onto the wing, but unfortunately he didn't have the chance to show his silky skills. Um, Apparently, according to Sean, he had a step on him. He had great hands. He had a bit of gas, but he didn't. He only got the ball twice. So yeah, I think that's 
I think as a forward, I can definitely speak that that's probably the most unfortunate thing. Like you stand on the back line for a little bit, you're expecting to get the ball. Um, I think also, I, I personally also had a chance to stand at, 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 at wing because of a yellow card situation. And I unfortunately didn't get the ball, but I was, I was happy because they also didn't, the, the, the opposing, opposing team didn't kick to me the whole time. So that was, that, that was a positive for me. Chad, do you have any stories about um, teammates playing out of position? Yeah, uh, well, I think a lot of mine sort of come from school um, where I played uh, every position in the, in the um, pack. And then we also had a situation where our fly half went down and we didn't have a fly off on the bench. And uh, our second row decided, we decided, no, we'll go with the second row at fly half. And uh, he ended up playing the rest of the year at fly off. Uh, just, he was brilliant. He just took on the role perfectly. And yeah, it, he, he was perfect for us. He, kicked, uh, he always kicked for goal for us as a second row, like uh, John Eelsall. Uh, but uh he took on the flower for all perfectly and yeah, played the rest of the season there. So that, so that was a quite an interesting one. Maybe not the quickest flower ever, but uh, definitely a, a solid option there. So you, I think that's the, the forwards dream, getting called into the back line, cooking and then not having to go back into the forwards again. That man will be spoken about in all of the rugby clubs around the world as the man that escaped the, 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 the pack. Um, <laughs> Jethro, um, Jordi Artis, um, he, he talks about a story that involves um, Karen Springbok, um, Jamie Dallende, that he had to move from um, outside center to flank because of a red card that, that one of the flankers got. And yeah, I mean, I think we can all imagine Damien doing some absolute carnage at, at flank um, for a game. I mean, he almost plays like a flank right now. Yeah, he's... And if I'm not mistaken, he was, he was quite big in school as well. I mean, he's, he's a big guy. But I think he was quite big in school too. <laughs> so I reckon he, I, I can just see him as like this, this tall, like reasonably skinny, maybe he hadn't filled out yet, I don't know. But guy at flank just hunting people down with angry eyes. He, I even reckon he would have put on like a, a headband there, you know, just to really <laughs> fit in, not to get cauliflower ears. Backs don't want cauliflower ears. <laughs> Jan, what's your favorite like professional rugby? Someone filling in in a position that he doesn't usually play. Oh, I, I quite enjoy uh, Quaker Smith when he got his chances at uh, wing for for the Lions and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, we might see him play a few more positions for the box if uh, the current trend continues. But uh, yeah, I, I quite enjoyed that uh, that when he did that. Oh, Burger Masco, Burger Masco from. Um... From flank to nine. Yeah, that's a, that's another one, and uh, I, I'm sure you remember it as well, Sean. But uh, there was a, a stage where Colby went and packed down at number eight for um, Toulouse and set up a trial from a scrum. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I, 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 I trying to remember, but I think they had a yellow card or something. That's why he went into number eight. But th that was also brilliant. And then. Um, we also have um, the Leon Leon back um, to a Sova, who often packs down at number eight for for them. Like they just randomly do it in a game where they'll throw him at number eight to get him to carry off the back, which and is a scary also, prospect. <laughs> and let's also not forget about uh, is another Fijian who plays for La Rochelle, but um, Lavani Botia. 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 Constantly Bottier, playing flank. 
Yes, he he. I mean, he was he's in, he's in, he plays twelve. He's played twelve for La Rochelle for a long time. He's played flank every now and then, but he was named in the Fijian squad as a forward. Like he's like actively at the moment. They can't really depends what the coach sees in him. Decides whether he plays twelve or or blindside flank or open yeah, side flank. Yeah. Should I say? So I mean, and, he, and that's happening at this moment. It's not like a, oh, you're injured. We've got injuries. You need to go play here. They're like, mm, where do we best think he's going to fit? That's pretty badass. And they did that with Baseliato as well, with uh, Clermont and Fiji. He also yeah. played a bit of centre in East Day, and now he's properly a back row that just plays uh, open side in number eight. Yeah. Nemanja Nadola, he played 10 at one stage and kicked for pole. Yeah. Biggest 10 in the world. Like, I can't think of a bigger 10 than that. <laughs> and he played 13, eh? Like, and fullback for Fiji. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew Bastrand, I think he's he played a bit of eight this week. He stood in the centers a little bit as well for, for Toulon. I know he goes in between the two positions at this stage of his career. Yeah, well he's he's just come he's just re-signed for Toulon and he wasn't initially named in the starting lineup and ended up starting at eight for Toulon. But yeah, his move has been from the midfield into into the eighth man position. He took a while. He was at Leon, hey, Jared, when he started that move more seriously. Yeah, yeah. And then he went over to America and pretty much only played uh, number eight in America. So yeah. I think he's pretty much a, um, a back rower now. Um, yeah. I don't think they'll really see him in the center. Yeah. And he's the yeah. under 18. His, his deal with Toulon means he's the under 18 coach or assistant coach as well, so they something busy. along those lines, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So a, a, busy a nice coach to have. You can coach your backs and your forwards at the same time. He's a beast at the break breakdown. So I think that's and, where why wow, they've moved prompted that move. Yeah, and also he's not a massive fan of cardio, so hopefully you get away with it at uh, at preseason. <laughs> I think my other um, positional switch, uh, favorite positional switch story is Johnny May packing down at flank. Um, and that famous video of him, I don't know where he was scrumming. I'm not sure what plane he was scrumming, but he really did try to scrum um, with the English pack in that, in that scrum. Yeah, he, he, him and uh, Kurtley Beal didn't do themselves any justice with those. <laughs> <laughs> Beal has a very similar video. I think Beal's is even worse than uh, Johnny Mate. And, um, and then, the, oh, flip, man, your name escapes me now. A fl- uh, winger for Exeter in England. He also plays flank. Jack Noll. Jack Noll. Jack Noll. I can't believe. I'm sorry. But anyway, he, he's, he's packed down on the side, done pretty handy. Yeah, Eddie Jones has said a few times that he wants to play him as a flank and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure, actually, if we send this part of the podcast to Eddie Jones, he'll be salivating at the prospect of playing people at different positions because that seems to be his new um, fad at, the time, at, the, at this time. If Eddie Jones moves to a club rugby, he'll probably sign all these players up. <laughs> yeah, damn straight. And and there's also talk of Sam Simmons going into the um in, into the centres. I mean, that's also mm. another. Uh, that would be a brilliant move. I mean, the way he runs, he runs like a centre anyway. Yeah, so we'll definitely get some assistant coaching roles. And we're missing out on the Bath England League convert players in Australia at the moment. Remember, he um, did his Burgess. massive switch. Yes, he did his massive switch, and they couldn't, couldn't decide whether 
he was playing center for Bath and England wanted him to play flank. Now, there's huh? another story huh? about Oaks and not understanding well, about what's going on. If you want to take it to the extreme, you, um, it was not too long ago that um, Eddie Jones was using Ellis Genge basically as a fullback. And every time the <laughs> opposition kicked the ball, they would just throw it to um, Ellis Genge to charge it back. <laughs> Crazy. On Sam Burgess, where do you guys think he best would have played? Would have been best to play? Where do you think? Do you think he's a midfielder or you think he's a flanker? Flanker. Ah, uh, yeah, I think a flanker as well. He, uh, he, he's one of those players like the. Uh, I think it's pretty much like a bot here that you could have just however you want to play, you decide where to play him. Kind of thing. You can have him like a Damien Darlander kind of yeah. center, or you could have him as a fetch or a hard hitting blindside kind of thing. I actually thought he, he was he could a better midfielder. Yeah, he could. I thought he was better in the midfield. I, I, I thought that was his position. He played a few times there for Bath and Ford, and then uh, England moved him to flank, and then it just all went fits up. I really thought it was a better a better twelve, but I suppose we'll never know. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think that will conclude our first phase look into the different um, positions. And speaking of that, um, we have the Springboks that won thirty. Six points to 20 in their match against Argentina. And we have a few, I think we, we can start here with um, the, the, the big news going into this week is the injury to Damien Willemsay. He went off with concussion. And now there's a bit of a, <clears throat> a question as to who will be picked in, 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 at fly half for the Springboks this weekend. The Springboks have also released their squad for this week's games. They've not, uh, they've not drafted in the fly half. Unfortunately, the Monet Stain bat signal was not working today. So it seems like the options at fly half are, are between Francois Stain, Valila Rue, and Fafta Clack. So before we get into reviewing the game, I think let's just have a quick little debate about who that Springbok 10 will be. Um, Sean, yeah, I, I think those are probably the only three options that are left in the squad. Who do, who do you think will take the 10, 10 jersey for this weekend? Well, now that they've named the squad, I think it really can only go to France Stain. I think that is... If, if, you go, if it goes to Villiers at 10 and we bring and have someone else in at 15, like Arendtse or Moody or I'm not sure who else, we're not really going to have uh, a recognized kicker so France Stain will start at 10 that's uh, that's where that's basically where all the signs are pointing for me Dad do you want to push the team Quaka Smith um, bandwagon a little bit yeah well I, I think you can try um, between Quaka Smith Oxen Chair or um, Stephen Kitzhoff I think they would all be prim, uh, pretty handy oh, Vincent Cox. You've been singing his praises in the midfield for months and you don't even mention him. Yeah, well, I don't want him to play flower. I want him to play centre. He's the best, uh, what did I call him? The best outside centre in world rugby. There's, there's okay, so, not one better than him. <laughs> so we'll play so, him so at 13 got... and we can play Ox at 10 and we'll get a dual playmaker and we'll put uh, Stephen Kitts off at 12. Oof, imagine. <laughs> no, but Tyler, I, I, I do love that Francois Stain's probably going to be playing um, 10 this weekend after our conversations down the years that uh, you said, oh no, we can, we can have Francois Stain, Kelvin fullback and centre, but there's no ways he's going to play fly off the box. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know it's your pet hate about it, but uh, <laughs> we, we, we're in this situation and 
yeah, it's, it seems like that's the, the best call from here. Yeah, they must have like that um, like respiratory um, machine next to the sidelines for Frontal staying because they're going to be doing a lot of running. I'm getting to rack to rack as, as the number 10. So <laughs> very keen to see, to see that happening as well. I tell you, I did mention this weekend that I think the Willemser de Lendi Creel 10, 12, 13 is the hardest hitting in the world. Like the hardest hitting 10, 12, 13 in world rugby at the moment because no one is getting through, but they all love to get their shoulders on people. I reckon Franz Stein could, could maybe elevate that 10, 12, 13 smashing defensive train a little bit. Like he also loves to get his shoulder on thing. And the nice thing about 10 is, is guys are running at you straight on and he's not scared to get stuck in. No, definitely not. Um, I, I also wonder if we um going to get Andre Estes in, in, into the starting lineup, um, maybe add a bit more distribution and kicking through him because I, I think he's a left-footed kicker as well. So that gives us another option there. And I, th- I think the the main thing is that Vili, if Vili starts in, he'll probably run the attack. And if Franz Stein is starting a fly-off, he will then take over the responsibility of defending the 10 channel. So I I don't think it's a it's a terrible idea, but uh, I do think we need Vili LaRue in our starting lineup this week. Yeah, that that was also the thing for me is obviously every rugby group is debating this at the moment. And my issue with, like the guys were saying, like we want Vili to start at 10. I'm like, but who's going to play fly half for the first two phases? Because Vili, you're not going to get the best out of him in the first two phases at fly half. He really only comes into his own in the second, third, fourth phase. And that's why it's best for him to stay at 15. Also, I want to... I think we we got our fingers burnt, and I know the Springbok coaches would have worked a lot on it, but we got our fingers burnt by making too many movements. I think we need less movement. I, I really do. Uh, I think we, we need to replace our 10, and that's what we need to do. We need to replace our 10. We don't need to move our 15 into 10 or do anything else. So I think we need to just replace our 10, keep everything the same, quickly answer possibly onto, onto the bench. Um, you know, like I don't, I think even Moody has deserved his 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 chance to stay, you know, or earned his. So, so, so you wouldn't you wouldn't switch up scrum off at all um, with, with all this change because um, no. we we generally play a lot off of nine, so there's a lot of responsibility on Hendrix's shoulders again this week. So, do we stay with Faf on the bench? Are we bringing Quavis Reinach in on the bench? So you just want the only change to be in the 23 jersey because we're losing uh, Franz Stein. So, yes, I do. Um, we're losing Willems there, but I, I think, yes. The thing is, is our, our, our game plan revolves around our nine and our 10 and specifically our nine kicking accurately. And right now, our most accurate kicker and form nine is Hendricks. Hendricks. So for bringing Fuff in, who is sort of, in form, but he, and we even saw on Saturday, he, he does like he runs crazy sometimes and does silly things. Like when he conceded that penalty uh, for tackling the player out the air, I got nervous. Well, I didn't cause out the air, but I got nervous because I thought he was going to do something crazy, but I'm not so sure about his kicking. So I, I would literally base my decision on who plays nine on, on currently who's kicking better. And that is Jaden. Yeah, I think that actually does sort of answer the next question I had, which is 
who then, if Francis Dane has an injury or Sinbin or something, who then steps up. So it'll be interesting to see we'll have like a French top 14 field to our back line with maybe two scrum offs at nine and 10 and two tens at the back three and all that sort of stuff. So looking forward to some of that craziness that might come. But let's not look into the game itself. And I think the best way to describe it is that it was a game of two halves. Um, and you can just see with the stats there that with possession in the first half, the Springboks had 56% of the ball. And in the second half, the Argentinians had 64% of the ball. Let's maybe start focusing on the first half. And Jared, what did the Springboks do so well in the first half um, that got them that 22-6 lead at halftime? Yeah, I, I, we always talk about the Bulks being a momentum-based team. And I think what we did well this weekend is once we got momentum, we kept it and we kept applying the pressure. Um, we weren't as clinical as we probably would have liked to be, but we sort of kept Argentina back in their 22 and kept piling the pressure on them. And eventually they broke down. I mean, the way Hendricks ran through for his second try, uh, it, it was wide open. Um, yeah, obviously it was his only try. The other one was given as a penalty try. But uh, I, th I think that was just where we won it, is that when the opportunities were there, we did well enough to take some of them. And we just kept them in their own half, kept piling on the pressure. And yeah, we kept getting penalties, kicking to the corner, taking the points when it was a nice, easy shot at three. So, so I think that was... Um, was a very big part in what we did well in the first half. Yeah, and it seemed like in terms of players that stood out, it seems like Malcolm Marx and um, and David Dialendi had big um, big games, especially in that first half. Jared. Yeah, they definitely did. Um, Dialendi was uh, was brilliant in his pre-contact uh, work. He he stepped quite a few um, players and managed to get softer shoulders. I thought uh, Jasper Visser was just as uh, brilliant. Like he really is um, performing for the box, even though he's what hitting 30, uh, game 38 or 39 um, since his last preseason. Uh, pre so yeah, he's really battling on for the box and producing. Um, I thought Marx was very good throughout the game. Uh, he did have a few wonky lineouts, uh, which yeah, it's, it, I think, helps that uh, we've got Bongi coming back because, uh, yeah, it's two pretty much 80-minute performances from, from Marksy. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's going to be good that we have Bongi back. Yeah. You know, Marx was incredible. And, and as you mentioned at the end there, it's two 80-minute performances from him. So um, it's, been, it's been quite something. And it's really uh, added something it's weird but something new to our game because we're so used to having our front rows do almost a 50 50. <laughs> so that was great i thought the first half we were but we that was the cleanest and most well executed half of rugby the springboks have played in years we really were good like the referee wasn't forced to really make any major decisions. I mean, obviously the penalty try, which is, is a no-brainer, but the game flowed because we were so on top of the game. The thing is, is the stuff we're not used to seeing by the Springboks is like we started seeing, like they were ruthless. They took their chances. They were expansive, but they were tight. They really executed really, really, really well. And um, I thought halftime came at a very bad time for us because 
for once in our life we we got we got points when 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 we when we went into the 22 and uh, we should have won by 40 odd points easily like we really were on track for a massive massive win and we fell apart in the second half which i'm sure we'll chat about now but yeah it was it was great and i really think it was led by marks and delendi i i think if damien delendi was the glue for our back line on saturday that that a lot of people choose to ignore he he was carrying he was passing he was doing all sorts of stuff the the stuff that he created allowed people other people to do other things and i i think i don't think that he ever gets his uh gets the pat on the back that he deserves um for his play um most of the time people will say it's uh, it's lucania arm that's doing all the whatever's you know how they like to sort of deflect it around but i thought our midfield did, did really well in that first half um especially Damien Delendi. Between him and Marks, they were our man of the, man of the match by far. I think Marks won it, won it deservedly, but Damien was next in line. I, I, I think it was great uh, with um, the Islander and his uh, dummy jumps in the front of the line-out in two of the, <laughs> two, two the line-outs in the first half. So I, I quite enjoyed that, that we had those uh, 12 plus one um, line drives in, in um, Argentina's 22. That was, that was good fun. <laughs> It's brilliant to watch, changing things up a little bit and also is basically saying um, if we, we're going to play our mall back into form even if we have to put everyone in. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I just really enjoyed that, watching Damien Willems go to the front of the line-outs as well. Like, yeah, they, really, they really tried to sell it that uh, the Islander would jump with Damien Willems lifting him. When last did you see a fluff on the attacking ball uh, back down in the front of the line for for driving more. Yes, you know they're not spreading it then, eh? Yeah, my Damien Willems in the, in, the, in the Bog 12 jersey agenda must rest for another day. It seemed like Damien Dallendi had a great game on Saturday. But then, yeah, Sean, you mentioned it. There was a bit of a turning point in the second half, and it seemed like was it, it seemed like there were a lot of reasons, but Argentina was obviously able to keep the ball, and up until, you know, the, 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 the yellow card talking point with Quaka Smith, it seemed like the box was still able to keep them out of the try line. And then once, once they started losing, once they started conceding penalties and obviously they had the yellow card, that's when the, the point started to rain in for the Argentinians. So what, what, do you think the yellow card is the talking point? Want to talk about that? Well, uh, the Quaka Smith one? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah I, I do want to I do want to chat about it and we can probably tackle it at the end because I want to more tack, uh, chat about like the fallout of it but I I don't understand how people have an issue with it um, he was high it was around the neck um, yeah you know that's that's the thing I know Jared I mean I'd love you to jump in after because I know we don't necessarily agree on this but for me it was high it was almost seatbeltish like he was wrapped around the neck it's a penalty. I think he 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 would have scored a try because he was able to place the ball. Um, the thing is, is the, the a lot of people are talking about yeah, but how are you supposed to do it five meters out? You can't take that away. Well, if you can't do it from five meters or from a few meters out because you're in a bad position, then that's the whole point of what the opposition are trying to do. They're trying to compromise your defense so they can score a try. So I don't think it's such a massive thing. Like some people are saying, you need to change the high tackle rule and uh, the law and all that sort of jazz. And I'm just like, flip man, you know, he, he got him around the neck. It's against the law. 
how are you going to change things? Well, are you going to just change it for that purpose because you feel that was unfair, it was your side, or what's the situation? But so, yeah, that yellow card, I just think, I mean, it was rightfully a yellow card and a penalty try just from the proximity, I, I believe. Um, but in terms of where the Springboks fell off in the second half, I just, we were really loose and erratic. We were all over the show. Um, and um, I think that what I found and what, I mean, Jared and I did chat about it and he highlighted it more for me and reinforced it. But where I thought that the issue lay was our nine and 10 weren't controlling the game as much. So what happened with, with, with Jaden and, and Damien at nine and 10 in the first half didn't happen in the second half. And we really struggled and we weren't getting the impetus and the go forward ball and all that sort of stuff. So that then it's a massive learning uh, space for them. We still won and we got a bonus point, which is great. It didn't help our points difference as much as we wanted, but first, first prize was winning. Second prize was bonus points. So, you know, we, we got those two boxes ticked and the guys will learn from it and how to control the game when it gets, when it gets, when the opposition get on top of you. Jared, let's look at it from the Argentinians' point of view. What what can they take for next week's game from that like thirty minutes of control that they had? Yeah, I I think they can take a lot from it. Um, I I think even in spaces in the first half, they did well to stop our driving more, even if it was illegally. Um, I I think it was a bit of a lottery at some of the breakdowns, whether you got away with um hands in the ruck or. Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the biggest takeaways they can they can really um, be happy with was their scrummaging performance. Um, it, they got absolutely pounded by the All Blacks, and then you, you face a tougher test in the Springboks. And you know, we just didn't come to the party with our scrum. Um, I think Kempson was saying that the Argentinians weren't taking the hits, and that's why the Springboks were overextending or pushing too early, and that's where. We got penalized, but we didn't adjust. And yeah, fair play to them. They really took us apart in that area. Um, I think Trevor and Yakani had a pretty poor game when it came to the scrummaging in the second half at Tartet. So I don't know if maybe we'll see him back at Lucid and uh, he regained some form there. But uh, yeah, I, I think it is an area of concern for the box after, after that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think for a lot of the young players in the Argentinian side, they really stepped up. I think since he had a very good game and was safe under the hard ball. Um, and I thought Buffelli was incredible. So, yeah, I, I, I think that there were um, periods of the game where Argentina made the most of their chances and they really did put the box under pressure. And, I mean, they scored a try off of uh, pretty much the same move that the Australians uh, scored a try against us. And we tried to pull it off against the Australians in the second test as well. But it's so just, uh, yeah, I don't want to hop back on the box, but I uh, but, uh, the point by that is that uh, two teams can score almost exactly the same tries against us and we're not adapting to that. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, positives they can take away from it. They also played um, parts of the game without their nine um, and without their ten as well. So I, I think they still kept it reasonably tight considering all of that. Yeah, and it looked like they um, a massive game for their loose forwards as well. Um, you, if you just look at the stats, um, there it's either um, Juan, Juan Martin Gonzalez's top of like defenders beaten. Pablo Matera had a lot of tackles. 
Marcus Kramer is obviously just doing Marcus Kramer things. And that loose trio is just powerful. And Sean, I'm not sure um, how much you know about um, Juan Martin Gonzalez, but he seems to be one of the finds of this year's URC. He's been having great performance after great performance these last few weeks. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I don't know a hell of a lot about him, but he is class. Um, you know, he's, he's holding it up and, and, and doing the business. But I, I must say, you have kind of thrown me a bit of a curveball there, so I, I can't really add a hell of a lot more. <laughs> My bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. I thought, sure, I thought you'd have encyclopedic knowledge about these players and you're studying them all for the last three weeks. <laughs> don't, don't be sorry. I'm, uh, I, was, I was just, as you started talking, I was like, oh, damn it. I know exactly, exactly what's going to happen here. It's just the way of the world, man. <laughs> but yeah, maybe let's move on then to what the Springboks are going, uh, what the Springboks could do with the rest of their team for, for Saturday. I think as Sean mentioned earlier, maybe learning from the New Zealand test match, you don't want to change too much, especially in a, in a big must-win game like this. Yeah, but the, on the other hand, Jared, like there's a few considerations, especially when you look at the minutes of uh, players like um, you know, Jasper Visa in terms of the last 12 months or Malcolm Marks and him having to play 18 minutes the last few weeks. Someone like Evan Etzebeth hasn't had a, a test match off. And there was this maybe promise of um, changing up selection for, for, for this weekend's games um, instead of um, going with the, you know, using this one of the Argentinian test matches as a test to expose some depth. That seems with the, with the, with the, with the squad that's been chosen and seeing some of the players released, such as Salman Murat, um, Aurich Lowe, um, Joe Dweber and Warwick Galant, it seems like the plan now seems to be to play the best team available. So, yeah, do, do you think then that they will do that? They will play the best 23? Do you think there might be still some changes even within that smaller squad? How do you think Ninova will approach selection, given that we're recording this podcast on Monday before the team announcement on Tuesday? Yeah, well, we, we there will definitely be some changes that uh, you can sort of pick up in who they've released already. So, um, you know, we had Ulrich Lowe in our match day 23s with him um, leaving the squad. We uh, need to fill that space. So it'll be interesting whether we see um, Peter Stefti's toy go straight back into the starting lineup, whether he comes in on the bench. Because um, I, I would assume it's between Peter Steff and um, Dwayne Vermeulen that are coming back into the match day 23. And... Pure lucky say I even met touched on it earlier, but Visa has been playing some insane uh, amounts of rugby over the last year or so. So I wouldn't um, be surprised to see him drop out of the twenty-three as um, more of a rotation thing. Dwayne coming back in, Peter Steph coming back in, even Quaker Smith maybe even taking over the eight jersey. So I, I I think that's one of the places where we will see some change. I think. Bongi might come straight back into the starting lineup. Um, and that might cause a bit of change with Kitsop and Marks both going to the bench. I, I, I think that's a real possibility. I think they will want to sort out um, our, our scrummaging, particularly in the second half. And I, I don't think Argentina will start uh, Scalvi, who had, a, who had a very strong game against us. Um, so I think he will remain on the bench to, to tighten up Argentina's uh, scrum. And I think we'll. Want to get uh, a, 
uh, more fresher Stephen Kitsov going at him. Um, he's a very big boy. I think he's 145 kilograms. So, yeah, a bit tough to push that body back. Yeah, the thing is, um, I think it's a great shot is rotating our front rows, is, is starting Yakani and Bonambi um, and resting our starting front row that we had now is because if our scrummaging doesn't work, we have something, we have France saying to fall back on who, you know, if he has to stand an extra meter or two further back, he's still got an extra 10, 15 meters on his kick. So at least from an exiting point of view, we will be in a in a slightly better place. Um, obviously, he'll be under a little bit of pressure starting at ten. Um, so it's um, it's quite a good thing. And then obviously, as you mentioned, Jared, um, the fact that we can bring on um, what is probably now considered our first choice front row or our strongest front row is maybe the best way of putting it. Currently, on current form, is bringing them on later to finish off the game. It's probably not the worst shot. And the Springbok coaches have happily moved those things around, the pressure points around certain places to deal with certain things. Um, but I think most things that would have had, like the side that is named tomorrow or on Tuesday, should I say, when everyone's listening to this, um, the side that is named will very likely have been pretty, I'm pretty confident it would have been picked a couple of weeks ago, barring one or two injuries. So. Um, I think we'll 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 see the the changes, but you know there's the the carrot dangling of winning the rugby championship and winning it with France at ten. You know how amazing. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. And I think um, a lot of their plans to actually um, rotate players was not only based on um, Argentina um, up with claiming a few upsets and the whole competition pretty much blown wide open by that. I think um, a lot of our injuries and that played played a role. Um, I don't think we didn't really expect to lose Andre Pollard. We didn't expect to lose about four wingers. We didn't expect to lose Lucanio Um, Like those are pretty key position, uh, key players in key positions. And yeah, you we wanted to get someone like Jesse Creel a bit more time in the competition. And he's got a lot more than I think uh, they were expecting to give him at the start of the competition. And yeah, the same could probably be said about uh, Joseph Dweber, about Dion Brie. So I, I think um, a lot of our rotation that we would have liked to do has been forced through injury. And yeah, we, we might have gone with uh, 14 changes like we did against um, Wales in the second test. But uh, we've got to a point where we've already made a lot of changes throughout the competition that it's not really needed, and we've built that there through through having those untimely injuries. Yeah, good call, good call. Yeah, I think taking a step back, you can see that players that maybe weren't involved with the Springboks a, a year ago or as involved a year ago are now, you know, getting up to you know ten tests and having a lot of like quality tests against the best opposition in the world. So Jaden Hendricks has played now big games against New Zealand, Australia and Wales and Argentina, as has David Phillips at 10 and 15 and wherever. Like those are just two examples. Jasper Visa has now established himself as the number eight. And ironically, it's probably in the positions that we've had some concerns about the long-term depth um, for the Springboks um, with Vinny LaRue and Dwayne Vermeulen being obviously a little bit older than the rest. 
now that we have really good options that have been developed um, by Jean-Claude Arbor. So it's come to a place now, I think there's really good depth and uh, a good sort of like 30 to 40 players that have been exposed by the Springboks that we can probably call upon for, for, for later tours and for the Rugby World Cup as well. And then just a word maybe, um, Jared, on the players that have been added to the team. And maybe you can explain this to me because I'm also a little bit confused. Um, so they've added Kirtley Arantza and Spoon Gorsi. Why both of them into the, into the squad? Uh, um, I think they want to get a closer look at uh, Subu and Corsi and see how he's tracking. Like, I think uh, that that's the core there. Um, I think it's very similar to um, them bringing Bongi straight back into the team the minute he was fit, is that they do have plans for him and they're showing that they still have plans for him. And uh, quite interestingly, he played on the left wing for um, the Bulls this weekend and he generally plays on the right for the Bulls. So maybe um, they're going to look at him playing on the left instead of Mapimpi and give him Mapimpi a rest. Um, Mapimpi's pretty much played every game um, this year. Uh, I think he only missed the, the one against Wales, that second test against Wales, but otherwise he's been a consistent uh, presence in that back line. So possibly they're looking at him to, to maybe come in there. And um, I, I think Orensa, um had to come into the squad um, because we are losing Warwick, um, I think we've forgotten, but Warwick Alliance has made himself unavailable for the November series. So I think they wanted to get uh, Kurt Lee back in the side and uh, maybe have him training at fullback and looking at him as an option at fullback as well. But yeah, he, he wasn't uh, dropped from the squad either. Um, he was just out because of his suspension. So I think they've been having conversations with him and he could he could also come straight back into the team. Yeah, that I was, I was also having a think about it. I think Arantza, the inclusion of Arantza is exactly that. It's, um, you know, is him coming back after being suspended and, and out with the brain injury. So the, he was the first choice 14 at the time. So he would come back. That's how the, the, book, the book setup works. With regards to Nkosi, um, he, it, it's an integration thing. It's a getting back into the mix, you know, like um, building on those those bonds, the, the player bonds, the the group bonds, the bond with the management and and stuff. Getting back in the mix, getting the feel for it, not feeling like an outsider anymore. Because he's been after the squad for a while, and he also was our premier right wing at one stage. He was our first choice, and that was just the way it was. And he's class. He um he offers as you mentioned he played on the left wing so he offers left and right wing but he's a he's a big guy you know there'll be times where we want to have a massive bulky fourteen you know we we in the in the we've had Creel there and we've had Um there but you know we could always I mean Moody's a big guy but but um of course he he we we forget that he was really really good you know he he fell a bit out of favor the Sharks he had an injury he's moved to the Bulls he's got back to fitness. I just uh, like I find it, you know. He, he's a he's a class player. So we're just you know reinforcing those bonds and getting everything sorted again in his player integration. So you know he doesn't feel like uh, he hasn't met off the side when he returns. Yeah, so it's probably more so to 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 look at look at him. But yeah, maybe it might 
um, indicate that there might be some rest for Mbappé, but hopefully, you know, of course, he's only played one <laughs> total of one game in the last few months, so you don't want him coming in cold like some of the other players that we've had coming in cold during the course of the season. But yeah, that probably indicates what we can expect in our match day 23 on Saturday. Um, probably another player that might fall out of it, but had a big impact in, in, in the five minutes that he played was Dion Faree. Um, he's, he had a big turnover, um, Jared, that probably helped us win the bonus point at the end and secured the match because at that time, I think the Argentinians were, it was, it was 22 points to 20 when he had that turnover penalty. Yeah, and then he played a role in uh, uh, Marx's second try as well. He he was also part of that backline forward move or whatever you want to call it. So I, I, I'm not too sure if uh, Dion Free will um, drop out of the team completely. We might uh, have him included as a loose forward in, um, in the team somehow. So yeah, it, it could be another thing that we go back to a six uh, a six two splits on the bench. It, I think it is a possibility. And uh, yeah, there was murmurs that we would get um, Quaker Smith and Dion Free on the bench as uh, loose forwards, and even having Marks as a loose uh, as a as a bomb squad member as well. So we could uh, go with that uh, all-out assault on the breakdown in in the latter stages with those three coming off of the bench. Okay, and then Sean, we let's do some. Let's do some maths, and I think for people that have followed our uh, South African national football team, we can call this some Bafana Bafana maths, where we have to look at what we need to do in order to get top of the log and what we need to rely on for other teams in order to do that and all the permutations and considerations. But the rugby championship is nicely poised where mathematically all four teams can still win the rugby championship after this weekend. We have the Springboks and well, we have New Zealand first on top of the log at 14 points. Then we have the Springboks at 14 points as a result of points difference. And then Australia and Argentina can still win if a few results go their way. So, Sean, the, sim- the, the, the simple um, equation is that the Springboks probably, regardless of what happens in New Zealand, they probably have to win with a bonus point and especially if New Zealand wins and they get a bonus point, they'll have to get uh, quite a big win against Argentinians at five o'clock. Yeah, so just to clarify a few things. So the the log is separated according to a a few things. So obviously number one would be points. If two teams are tied, then those teams are split according to the wins against each other, which in the South African, New Zealand or anyone's situation um, uh, South Africa, New Zealand are 1-1, South Africa, Australia are 1-1, um, Argentina, Australia are 1-1, Argentina, New Zealand are 1-1. So, you know, it all depends on what happens this week. So that's the first thing that is split. Uh, the second thing. The third thing is, is points difference for the tournament. So it will possibly boil down to that. Um, and, and it's very likely that it will. Currently, the um, All Blacks are plus 41 and we're plus 28. So there is quite a, um, is quite a big difference. It's, it's a two-try swing that we're looking at at the moment. Essentially, you know, I, I tell you, Australia winning on Saturday would be great, um, but both of them drawing would also be great, <laughs> you know, uh, or them drawing the game. But whatever we need to do, um, if, 
if the All Blacks don't get a, a winning bonus point, it would be great for us. And then we need to just then get a bonus point and win. But as things are likely to unfold is we would probably need to beat Argentina with three clear tries. So getting the try bonus point and then put on about, you know, 20 odd points um, about, uh, over them to, to increase our, our points difference. Yeah, I, I just um, want to jump in there with uh, Sean saying I know a draw would be nice. Um, I, I think New Zealand losing would be nice as well. We, um, I, yeah, and a lot of uh, fans aren't happy with Nick White at the moment, but uh, that Eden Park record really needs to really needs to go. I would love somebody to finally end it, and if it's Australia this weekend, I'll be pretty happy with that. Even if Nick White scores the winning points to do it. Yeah, and listen, the, the only problem with Australia winning it is um, they'll be level on points or possibly a point ahead of us. So, But yeah, I think, uh, listen, you know, if they draw it, then New Zealand are then two points ahead of us. But but yeah, I think um, I, I think the exchange this week uh, that came out between Nick White and uh, Matthew Raynell afterwards was, was great. Um, uh, you know, the thing is, is what people don't realize is Australians lost a game that they really thought they were in a chance of winning. They they figured it was the rest fault. I don't think it was. But I mean, they still wanted to win. So they're really like they're still pumped and charged on it. So, you know, everyone loves to hate someone and the Aussies or England or whoever it is at the, at the time. But I tell you, Jared, you're 100% right there. We The All Blacks are there for the taking. They need to be taken. So uh, Australia winning would be great for us in terms of our um, rugby championship um, uh, opportunities because I don't see us not getting a point or two points out of the game against Argentina. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sean. And uh, the, the All Blacks never let us uh, play them at Eden Park. So we're not going to be able to beat that record anytime soon. So I, I, I would love that record to, to go. That's all. That's uh, what I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, and there's a, a small, but there's still a chance for Argentina to even win the rugby championship. They'll need a lot to go their way, including New Zealand getting zero points from their um, match against Australia, and Australia only getting uh, winning, but without a bonus point, and then, then absolutely pasting South Africa. But anything is possible. Um, Jared, you, I'm sure you might be aware, but our record in Durban is not great compared to our record in other places around the country. Yeah, uh, I I don't particularly like it when uh, the box playing Durban, um, having gone to Durban and seen them get pasted by by the All Blacks. So um, the Argentinians quite like it there. So hopefully we can change that, and uh, th it will be a nice weekend that uh, we see the All Blacks lose in in Auckland and uh, the Springboks win in in Durban over Los Pumas, and we get a bit of a change of the guard. Yeah, this is definitely the closest rugby championship um, in the relatively short history of the tournament with it having four teams. And I, I, I can't think of another rugby championship that went up until the last game. I think the last one was, what, 2004, when we had to beat the Australians and I think actually, ironically enough, in Durban. Jantron, can you guys remember another Tri-Nations or rugby championship that went to the last game? No, I, I can't. I mean, no, Tri-Nations happened a fair amount, but I can't remember the rugby championship uh, going down to the wire, especially going down to the wire where it's almost a four-horse four race still. 
I think that's the big thing. Yeah. And like every team has some form of like skin in the game. So yeah, it will hopefully mean that we'll have big entertaining games and a big final weekend um, because all the teams can can at least do something and aim for something, even yeah, even if it might be the most unlikely. Now, Sean, let's say the Springboks are, you know, they need 30, 40 points in order to win the rugby championship. Do you think Jacques Vinova has it in him to um, change the, the 15, maybe go all-out attack, put Kane and Moody in the midfield, put Spungorsi into the team with Kirtley Aronson, and then just let the boys play and let the boys cook? Yeah, <laughs> I can't even I can't even say that that's a good call, Tyler. But um, <laughs> I, I do I don't I think if anything, um, Jacques Nienaba has shown that he has brought out a different style of attack, and he's totally been working on it um, with the with the side. The players have embraced it, and and they're starting to to make it work. Um, the the thing is is we need to. There are a couple things that have been really have been our Achilles heel. We have gone to sleep for about 20 to 30 minutes in almost every single game this year. That, that is the one problem for me. So we need to work on keeping that intensity up and keeping that going. So if that stays, I think that's our number one problem is making sure that we keep that going. The personnel on the field, we won't need to change too much unless there's an injury here and there. But um, I do. Uh, Jacques also showed that he's happy to pull someone after 20 minutes if they're not doing the goods or if they're struggling. So I think it all points in the direction of Ninob is not scared to make these decisions. And tactically, he's phenomenal. So I think he's loving this opportunity to, to really go out because... We've got nothing to lose. You know, we've really got to go out and play to win. So I think we've got what it takes. The other thing that is our Achilles heel is that, excuse my language, is that damn inside ball that we, for the whole year, have not been closing that gap. It's, it, the sides are doing really well to pick that out on us every now and then. We've done good to close it, but in that low-intensity period in our game, we're not closing that thing. And that's a defensive discipline and our intensity. And that's what we're lacking. And that's what the boys need to bring out. And we've got players that are going to be fighting for positions in the future. And they're going to have to show it. So in short, no, I think Minab has definitely got the plums to make those decisions on field, pre-game and, and during the game. And I think our players need to put their hand up uh, and really go out and slaughter them. Yeah, I think we have a lot of um, exciting rugby to look forward to this weekend with all these permutations. Gents, I think let's finish off with a few predictions um, or with predictions for, for, for the weekend. Jared, what's your prediction um, for both the New Zealand-Australia game and for the South Africa-Argentina um, game? Oof. So I'll be bold this time, Zala, uh, and I'm going to call a Wallabies win at Eden Park. And that's not going to be a bonus point win. It'll just be a win. And the Springboks are going to win the rugby championship with a bonus point win in Durban. A big one. Okay, sure. Oh, Jared, I love that. Eh? We don't even need a big one if we get a bonus point win. But I think the boys need to have their mindset that they must score 60 points in order to keep that intensity and the, the go forward going. For me... I think Eden Park is going to be 28-25. 
and I'm going to say that's going to go to the All Blacks. Um, my crystal ball hasn't told me whether that's a bonus point or not, but um, I, I'm hoping it won't be. And I believe the Springboks are going to go out and grab a bonus point win in Durban. I, I, it's hard to see us scoring more than 20 more points than Argentina if we look at what happened on, on Saturday in the second half. But if you look at the first half, you almost think we could score 60. So um, it really is a bit of a lottery at the moment. But I think the Springboks win with a bonus point, and I think the All Blacks win um, uh, by, by a ball here. But I'm going to just go out on a limb and say don't get a bonus point. And again, yes, like Jared says, we win the rugby championship with France staying at 10. Who would have thunk? Yeah, maybe mine's not a prediction, more of a hope. I just wanted to go to the last minute. I think that'll be a fantastic no. edition of the rugby championship. This, this is the Springboks we're talking about, mate. This is not the <laughs> Six Nations where Ireland and England and Wales are all in the running. Like, this is the books. You want they must win by hundred nil. It shouldn't even. It shouldn't be. It should be over after ten minutes. We should have dominated by then. Don't you sure, dare! Like, you, this is not entertainment, bro. This is the Springboks. <laughs> what's a, what's life without a little bit of stress? <laughs> have you not been watching Springbok rugby this year? Oh no, you have not. Listen, just quickly before I get shut, my electricity gets shut down. I just want to, it's a public service announcement, but it's, an, it's a public thank you to Cooks, who was unable to go and have beers for the Springbok game, but went out of his way to make sure that he could have beers so the Springboks could win. And I tell you what, we left it to the end and got a bonus point try. And those beers that Cooks had on Saturday were basically the beers that won, that won us the rugby championship. So anytime anyone ever sees Cooks, please buy him a beer and thank him from the bottom of your heart. He is a vital, vital part of the Springbok management. Yeah, we still unbeaten when Cooks has a cold one in front of him. And we are trying to, um, Sean, we're trying to make sure that there's no flights from Joburg to Durban on Saturday so that Cooks doesn't get to the rugby to, to, <laughs> to watch the rugby match live. Very cool. <laughs> I think we, we need to just reverse some of these curses, but we can't take the risk this week. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is our look at the Springboks win against Argentina and a little bit of a preview as to what they need to do in order to win the rugby championship. And as Sean has mentioned, we're going to try to have a few other podcasts during the course of the week. We will try to have a podcast looking at the RC, go into some depth about the, 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 the Bledisloe, um, the last few minutes of the Bledisloe Cup first game, and look into previewing the teams once they come out. So thank you from all of us at Rugby Bits. Um, we are sponsored by bet.co.za, our wonderful sponsors. Please go to their website for their markets for this final round of the Rugby Championship as well. Get a few of those combo bets going for if you want to predict um, some good things. And yes, thank you so much to Sean and Jared. We're going to um, try to um, go through all of this load shedding in order to get you some podcast um, content this week. Thanks.